All right, everybody, we made it. It's Friday, May 5th. Happy Cinco de Mayo. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to, Jill. And for a special edition, this is also the place where we interview our moms. Yes, we are doing a special edition where uh, we are doing a joint interview with my mom and your mom. We're doing that interview later today, and it's going to be for a special Mother's Day edition. So get excited. Uh, and uh, in the next few hours, if you hear this podcast and you have questions for our mothers, please send us a direct message on Instagram and we'll try to incorporate them into the episode. So Moshe's mom and my mom, I think must be somewhat similar because they both asked us, what are the questions? I want a yes. list of questions, which in a normal situation is we a would never total no-no, <laughs> but maybe for the moms. When, when PR people on behalf of uh, <laughs> newsmakers, and, and this is pretty traditional since, since we get this question from some of you, when we have people on, we might give them topics in advance. Like we're going to talk about the economy or politics, um, et cetera. But we do not uh, traditionally give questions in advance. Typically, the only people who really demand that sort of thing are celebs. And that's not really the thing that we do here on this podcast. But apparently, Jill, it's not just uh, celebs. It's also our mothers yes. uh, want very specific questions so they can prepare. And most just a bit of housekeeping news. want to quickly mention that you are going to be off next week and I will be holding down the fort with some special guests. Jill, I'm looking forward to listening. Uh, I will be reporting from abroad. You'll see uh, some of that on the Instagram feed uh, later in the week and uh, potentially use some of it on this podcast. So stay tuned, everybody. And Moshe, I promise I will make you proud, especially with On This Day. I'll put extra effort into it. Jill, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. <laughs> and I do want to mention, for everybody who is familiar with my old podcast, the Need to Know podcast, and followed me over here to Mo News, first of all, thank you so much. Um, and second of all, you're going to be very excited because I'm bringing Carlo Versano on uh, one day next week. We're still figuring out the schedule. I will let everybody know on Instagram, um, but a bit of a reunion. I'm looking forward to listening, Jill. But for now, let's get to the headlines here. It is almost coronation day for King Charles III. We've got all the tea, including who's going to be there and who won't be there. The banking crisis still not over. Some new concerns about several more of the country's mid-sized banks. We'll tell you about which ones. In New York City, the latest on that chokehold death on the city subway system that has Democrats fighting with one another about what to do next. The latest back and forth over that drone explosion over the Kremlin this week that the Russians are calling an assassination attempt. And just when you thought you have heard it all when it comes to travel, a Delta Airlines flight gets delayed for hours because of a swarm of bees. Jill, it was a missed opportunity to buzz the tower. <laughs> Though apologies, folks, we'll try not to use too many puns in that news story. Um, and a big win for singer Ed Sheeran. A jury finds that he is not liable in the copyright trial brought about by the Marvin Gaye estate. We're going to do a little compare contrast between the two songs in question. And Moshe has on this day in history. Jill, we'll do a little Cinco de Mayo history as well as a big day for the turtles in a half shell. <laughs> uh, and it is Friday, what we are watching, reading and eating this weekend. All right, let's get started. Saturday is coronation day for King Charles III. Charles became king as soon as his mother, Queen Elizabeth, died back in September but the coronation is when he officially will be crowned. It is a moment of public celebration for the new king. So here is what to expect. The coronation starts at 11 a.m. local time, which is 6 a.m. Eastern time. 
So you will need to wake up super early here in the United States if you want to catch it, especially on the West Coast, where it'll be 3 a.m. Thousands of people are expected to gather at Westminster Abbey to mark the occasion. Dignitaries and more than 100 heads of state from around the world expected to be attending. As for the United States, First Lady Jill Biden will be representing Uh, There have been 38 monarchs crowned at Westminster Abbey over the years. The ceremony itself hasn't changed much for centuries, but this one is expected to run about two hours. That is much shorter than the Queen's four-hour coronation. Also different this time around is that organizers have really tried to make it more inclusive. Different faith leaders will be leading the first processions into Westminster Abbey, followed by representatives from each of the 15 nations where the king is head of state. And that is the first time that non-Protestant faith leaders have been given a role in a coronation. As for the service itself, organizers say the Anglican service will have, quote, representation from other faiths to reflect the diversity of modern Britain. The core elements of the service are going to stay the same. This includes the recognition, the oath, the anointing um, and the crowning, among others. After the service, there will be another large parade heading to Buckingham Palace. At that point, there will be a balcony appearance for members of the royal family. And Moshe, at some point during all of this, hopefully Louis or George will make some type of of news with a funny face and just being kids. Yeah, Louis, uh, the youngest son of Prince William, uh, known for some of his uh, more remarkable facial expressions, covering his ears, etc. at the Jubilee last year. Jill, there are a lot of interesting details with this coronation. Uh, it struck me a couple of weeks ago when we learned that Pope Francis has gifted fragments from what is believed to be the true cross on which Jesus Christ was crucified for incorporation into the processional cross that will be used in this ceremony. Uh, a lot of history here, a throwback here to King Charles's mom, Queen Elizabeth. The Queen's coronation back in 1953 was the first royal event to be televised. This time around, they will incorporate some of those traditions, but they are trying to cut down on cost right now. Buckingham Palace says they will release the financial details of how much this whole uh, parade and all the ceremony from this weekend will cost at a later date. But these uh, types of events do tend to generate more money than is spent, they claim, in tourism dollars, etc. You see a lot of people from out of the world who are in town in the UK uh, to watch all of this in person. Billions of dollars reportedly will flow into the UK economy, sorely needed given the state of the UK economy as a result of these coronation. As far as security here, the operation is known as Operation Golden Orb. It'll be one of the largest that the Metropolitan Police in London have ever coordinated and run. Uh, That, of course, also leads to questions about cost here. One of the questions people had is who's going to be there uh, and who's not going to be there. One of the big questions in the lead up to this, will Prince Harry and Meghan attend? Uh, Harry will be there. Meghan will be staying back in California with their two children. They note that it's actually Prince Archie's birthday. So they kind of use that as an excuse here. But of course, things have been a little difficult, shall we say, in between Harry and Meghan and the rest of the royals, especially over the last couple of years, as Harry and Meghan have been revealing a lot about that family. I don't really want to opine on the royals, but um, (laughs) I would have certainly loved to see the interactions between Meghan and Kate if Meghan had gone. (laughs) That would have been just fun to watch. (laughs) I think that's one of the reasons why Meghan is not going. Uh, She doesn't want that scrutiny. And I think people want the attention to be on dad. After all, he has waited more than 70 years (laughs) to finally be king. (laughs) 
<laughs> As for another royal of interest here, Prince Andrew, Charles's brother, disgraced because of his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, uh, accusations and, and a payoff to one of the women related to uh, allegations of sexual assault there. He is, Prince Andrew, is expected to attend. He's no longer officially a working royal, though, so he will not have a formal role here. As we reported, Charles apparently has been trying to get him out of one of the larger palaces and into a smaller house. Uh, he's so far refused. As far as other foreign leaders are concerned, you mentioned Jill Biden will be there. Joe Biden will not. Emmanuel Macron, a bunch of other leaders will be there. You'll also see royals from other countries that you don't typically hear about. Uh, the King of Sweden, King Carl XVI, will be there. King Philippe of Spain will be in attendance. Notably, a few countries' leaders have not been invited. Uh, Iran's leader, not invited. That's actually a change since the Queen's funeral last year. Uh, also, not on the invite list, Russia, Belarus, Myanmar, Afghanistan, Syria, and Venezuela. The celebration will continue beyond Saturday uh, into Sunday with thousands of events planned across the country. Katy Perry, Lionel Richie and the group Take That are going to be headlining the Coronation Concert at Windsor Castle on Sunday night. Motion, I did need to look up the group Take That. Apparently they are a 90s band, which we've never heard of. Jill, I remember a couple uh, UK groups from the 90s. I remember Bewitched and I remember Westlife, but I do not remember Take That. Well, it should all make for some good TV. Uh, and on Monday, by the way, it is a bank holiday in the UK and people are being urged to volunteer. All right, now to the latest story, adding fuel to the debate about Supreme Court ethics and a lack of a code of conduct. Thursday, we learned in another investigative story that billionaire Republican donor Harlan Crow paid for Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's grandnephew to attend a private boarding school in Georgia that charges over $6,000 a month for tuition. Thomas had taken legal custody of his grandnephew at a young age. It turns out, like several other gifts from Crow, that Thomas did not report the tuition payments from the billionaire on his annual financial disclosures. Last month, the news outlet ProPublica reported that Thomas accepted luxury travel from Crow virtually every year for decades, including international super yacht cruises and private jet flights around the world. He also paid money to Thomas and his relatives in an undisclosed real estate deal. After he purchased the house where Thomas's mother lives, Crow poured tens of thousands of dollars into improving the property. And roughly 15 years ago, he donated much of the budget of a political group founded by Thomas's wife, which paid her a $120,000 salary. Meanwhile, Senator Dick Durbin, who is a Democrat from Illinois, and Senator Lindsey Graham, a Republican from South Carolina, they got into it over ethics concerns in the Supreme Court and the Senate Judiciary Committee this week. Uh, here's what Durbin had to say, followed by a bit of Graham's response. I think it's pretty clear to most objective people, this is not the ordinary course of business, nor should it be a standard for those of us in public service. We wouldn't tolerate this from a city council or member or an alderman. It falls short of ethical standards we expect of any public servant in America. And yet the Supreme Court won't even acknowledge it's a problem. This assault on Justice Thomas is well beyond ethics. It is about trying to delegitimize de a conservative court that was appointed through the traditional process. Your response has been to pack the court. <laughs> Virtually every member of the Democratic caucus, except maybe one or two, are for expanding the number of judges to dilute the conservative majority that <coughs> exists today. 
Jill, that was a hearing earlier in the week that they actually invited Chief Justice Roberts to that he declined. He was like, no, I don't need to testify before you guys because I don't need to, frankly. And so they discussed these issues with various Supreme Court ethicists, etc. Democrats and some Republicans have been very critical here as more and more of these revelations have come out. But you do hear there from Lindsey Graham the uh, feeling that this is political and Clarence Thomas, you know, it happens to be a conservative and this wouldn't have happened otherwise. Dick Durbin makes sure to note, though, that this is a concern he has had way before the court went 6-3 conservative. So these revelations, you mentioned several there about Thomas. There's also been a story about Neil Gorsuch recently and a real estate deal that's slightly less concerning, but still uh, not revealed here. It's prompted Democrats to push for greater oversight of the Supreme Court and calls for justices to adopt a formal code of conduct. The high court is the only federal branch that is not subject to an enforceable ethics code. Effectively, it is up to the Supreme Court to police themselves. There are nearly 900 federal judges. Only nine out of 900 don't have a code of ethics. They all happen to sit on the Supreme Court. Durbin released an additional statement after this latest story came out about the tuition payment saying, I hope that Chief Justice Roberts reads the story and understands that something has to be done here. Of course, Congress can step in. You know, we have three uh, branches of government here. They're all supposed to check each other. That was the initial ambition of the founders here. And so the sense here is that Congress or the White House needs to step in here uh, and effectively bring in some oversight over the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court is not policing itself. In another statement, you had Democrat Ron Wyden, he's a, or a senator from Oregon, say with every new revelation in this case, it becomes clear that Harlan Crow has been subsidizing an extravagant lifestyle for Justice Thomas and his family that they could otherwise not afford here. Notably, Harlan Crow is pushing back here. His office released a statement to CNBC saying that Harlan Crow has long been passionate about the importance of quality education and giving back to those less fortunate, especially at-risk youth. So that was their statement there in regards to the uh, tuition payments for Thomas's grandnephew. All right, we have a lot more to get to in this podcast, including today's speed read. But first, we want to thank a couple of our sponsors this week. We're going to begin with Magic Spoon Cereal. We often talk about nostalgia on this podcast. And one of the things that so many of us look back fondly uh, is the cereals from back in the day. Magic Spoon Cereal has joined us as a partner and has replicated some of those flavors in a more wholesome way in 2023. Their peanut butter, frosty, cocoa, and fruity flavors right now allow you to have the nostalgia from your youth, but in a low-carb way. Right now, the great thing about them is they're gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. And they have a special deal right now for the Mo News community. You can head over to magicspoon.com slash monews to grab a variety pack with those flavors and try it today. Again, the promo code monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, Use the code at checkout and save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in its product. It's backed with a what they call is a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember, you can get your next delicious bowl of high-protein cereal over at magicspoon.com slash monews. And make sure to use the monews code to get $5 off. And now to Bowl and Branch. We are so happy to be partnering again with a brand that helps you get an amazing night's sleep. Bolin Branch, and they've got a great sale for Mo News listeners. These sheets are made with 100% traceable organic cotton that gets softer with every wash and have already been bought by millions of people. They actually spend a lot of time focused on the supply chain, and it turns out that organic cotton is much better for the environment and the farmers in India. We discussed this recently on the Mo News Instagram account. Another interesting fact that we recently learned 
four U.S. presidents have used bowl and branch sheets. Jill, that's almost 10% of all U.S. presidents. And let's get to the deal here. Starting now, Mo News listeners will get 15% off site-wide. You can use our code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, to get that 15% off today at bowlandbranch.com. That is bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch, B-R-A-N-C-H.com. Promo code again is MONEWS. Okay, time now for the speed read. Let's start with a New York story getting a lot of attention from NBC News. The death of a homeless man aboard a New York City subway who was put into a chokehold by one of the riders has been deemed a homicide. This is according to the medical examiner. However, no charges have been filed yet against the 24-year-old passenger who put Jordan Neely in a headlock. Some, like AOC and other progressive lawmakers, now calling for justice for Neely. He was homeless. He struggled with mental illness. They are also calling for that person who was initially hailed as a good Samaritan to be arrested. But I want to step back for a second in case uh, anyone hasn't been following this. Witnesses and law enforcement sources said that Neely got onto the subway and started acting very aggressively toward other riders, threatening to harm them. They say Neely, who was 30, told riders on the train that he wanted food, that he wasn't taking no for an answer, and that he would hurt anyone on the train. One witness said Neely was yelling that he didn't care if he gets a big life sentence, that it doesn't even matter if he dies. Those were his words. The witness said that he himself was scared and he was worried that this man, Neely, was armed. And it was then that a 24-year-old rider, who is reportedly a U.S. Marine, came up behind Neely and put him in a chokehold, holding him on the ground. Two other men stood over them and also helped to subdue him. This witness said the chokehold lasted about 15 minutes as they waited for police to respond. And it was held even as the train stopped at the subway station and the doors opened and passengers rushed out. Neely was unconscious on the car floor when officers arrived and died at the scene. Yeah, you might have seen this video has been getting a lot of attention online and distributed on social media. The 24-year-old Marine who delivered the chokehold was questioned by police, but then later released. Again, he has not been charged here. It's not clear yet whether he would face charges. The Manhattan DA's office is conducting an ongoing investigation here. The New York City Mayor Eric Adams has been pretty outspoken about the situation. He said, I was a former transit police officer myself. I responded to many jobs where you had a passenger assisting somewhat. So we can't blanketly say what a passenger should or shouldn't do in a situation like this. But he's facing a lot of grief from other more progressive lawmakers and Democrats, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who you mentioned, AOC, who said that Jordan Neely was murdered. But because he was houseless and crying for food in a time when the city is raising rents and stripping services to militarize itself, While many in power demonize the poor, the murderer gets protected with passive headlines and no charges. It's disgusting. She was also responding uh, there to media coverage. She feels that the media has been taking the side here of the uh, man who put Neely in the chokehold. Eric Adams was then asked about those comments by AOC. Here's a bit of what he said on CNN Wednesday night. Let's let the DA uh, conduct his investigation with the law enforcement officials uh, to really interfere with that is not the right thing to do. And I'm going to be responsible and allow them to do their job and allow them to determine exactly what happened here. Meanwhile, the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, is also responding, saying the video 
of the incident, deeply disturbing, and it's causing a lot of fear in people. She says the mayor is working hard to restore a sense of safety. Jill, the events here are tragic. You know, literally a man dying in a chokehold on the New York City subway system. It does speak to, at the same time, the fear that some pedestrians have about these issues. At the same time, it doesn't appear that Neely had any weapons. So we clearly need to await more details here, but that isn't letting uh, people uh, stop from opining and jumping in on the situation. It was interesting, though, because I was reading a bunch of the responses to AOC's tweet. And at least as far as I was reading, almost nobody was taking her side, which I thought was pretty fascinating. Her her tweet had about 9,000 retweets. So I'll say that. I just want to read one of the comments um, from somebody who wrote, I normally have your back. He says, is it wrong the guy died? Sure. But would it have been better if he had killed an old lady on the train while everyone watched and did nothing? And I think that that's that's the debate here is is this could have gone so many different ways. But at the same time, could they have held this guy down without putting him in a chokehold that later killed him? So there's gonna be a lot of questions here as we get more witness testimony, more video is in, et cetera. And we'll, we'll remain on top of this for everybody. From Politico, a follow-up from yesterday. Several U.S. officials pushed back on the Kremlin's accusation that Washington coordinated drone attacks on Moscow with Ukraine. The U.S. emphasizing that we had no involvement in the Wednesday morning attack. National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby called the claim ludicrous. The Biden administration still does not have a leading theory on who was behind the drone attack or why it happened. And the U.S. is still unclear how the event will change the war, if at all. This accusation comes as those two small drones struck Moscow at around 2 a.m. early Wednesday. Russia immediately characterized it without evidence as an assassination attempt on Russian President Putin by Ukraine, even though Putin was not at the Kremlin at that time. The Ukrainian President Zelensky denying all those accusations, saying, quote, we fight on our own territory. We're defending our own villages and cities. We don't have enough weapons to even do that. Why would we launch small drones on the Kremlin? Back here in the U.S., the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, this is a different intelligence arm of the U.S. government, looked at the video footage and said publicly on Thursday that based on what they're seeing, it did not suggest the drones involved could do much serious damage. They were pretty small here. Uh, We've posted some of the video over on the Instagram account. But again, this remains to be seen, Jill, especially as the Russians celebrate their big annual military parade next week. More concerns about the country's mid-sized banks. From Yahoo Finance, PacWest Bank Corp seeking to calm markets after a 60% stock drop that made it the new focal point of concern over the health of U.S. regional banks. The bank said deposits have increased since March, but confirmed that um, it is in talks with several potential investors. The bank also telling Bloomberg News that it is exploring a sale. In a statement, though, the bank saying it has not experienced out-of-the-ordinary deposit flows following the sale of First Republic Bank and other news. They say our cash and available liquidity is solid and exceeded our uninsured deposits. The turmoil at PacWest just shows, though, how investor angst still is high after a string of industry failures and deposit outflows. And this is despite Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell saying on Wednesday that authorities are closer to containing the crisis. So apparently nobody feels (laughs) reassured. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's par for the course lately with Jerome Powell, the Fed Reserve Chair, that his words are falling on deaf ears a lot. And certain stuff, you know, it's a contagion, right? The feeling that one bank fails and the next bank fails, and then we're concerned about the next bank. And so there is the skepticism 
that regional banks after the fall of Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate Bank, Signature Bank, First Republic Bank. And when we say regional banks, we're talking about banks that had upwards of $200 billion in assets, Jill. Not insignificant, of course, not as big as the big, big banks, but not insignificant banks at all here. These banks have been under pressure after a year of interest rate hikes, hammered the value of their bond holdings. It drove unrealized losses to an estimated $1.8 trillion. The trouble in the commercial real estate uh, market is adding to the pain. And then, of course, there's depositors, people like you and me, that are withdrawing when they see these headlines, uh, their money out of banks into the larger banks. One of the more influential investors out there who's quoted a lot, you'll see his name in a lot of financial stories, Bill Ackman. He's the CEO of Pershing Square. He wrote on Twitter that, quote, confidence in a financial institution is built over decades and destroyed in days as each domino falls. The next weakest bank will begin to wobble. And that's the big challenge here. They're looking to figure out where they can finally stop this uh, because it seems like they thought they stopped the Silicon Valley and Signature. Then it went to First Republic. And we continue to see this impact, especially with the uh, collapse in the stock prices in a couple of these regional uh, banks this week. From the Independent, a Manhattan jury has found singer-songwriter Ed Sheeran not liable for copyright infringement. The British singer-songwriter was being sued by the heirs of Ed Townsend, the songwriter who composed the 1973 classic Let's Get It On with Marvin Gaye. They accused Sheeran's 2014 song Thinking Out Loud of copying the anthem's harmony as well as its melodic and rhythmic elements without permission. The lawsuit was initially filed in 2017, but has taken six years to finally reach a Manhattan federal court. Sheeran vehemently denied plagiarizing Let's Get It On. His lawyers argue that the song uses common constructions that are found in many pop tracks. Mosh, this is a hard story to understand without hearing the songs. So um, there are some pretty good mashups out there of the of Sheeran's Thinking Out Loud followed by Let's Get It On. So let's play a little bit. And Moshi reportedly told the court this week that should he lose, he plans on quitting music. Yeah, Sharon, after the verdict, uh, spoke to reporters saying, I guess I'm going to stay in this profession. Uh, Here's a bit of what he told reporters assembled outside the courthouse on Thursday. I'm obviously very happy with the outcome of the case, and it looks like I'm not having to retire from my day job after all. But at the same time, I'm unbelievably frustrated that baseless claims like this are allowed to go to court at all. We've spent the last eight years talking about two songs with dramatically different lyrics, melodies and four chords which are also different and used by songwriters every day all over the world. These chords are common building blocks which were used to create music long before Let's Get It On was written and will be used to make music long after we are all gone. Jill, Sharon testified in this case. He actually brought his guitar up on the stand and he played songs by Nina Simone, Bill Withers, Van Morrison, uh, Thinking Out Loud, Let's Get It On, to demonstrate how similar chord progressions are commonly shared across decades of hits. He was saying these are some very common chords, and if these are going to be owned by Marvin Gaye, it's going to make it very difficult for other artists uh, to create music. Clearly, the jury here agreeing with him on this. As a matter of fact, Sheeran's team was saying that these chords were being used in songs before Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. Right, yeah, that that was part of the point of, as he was playing all those songs on the stand, just showing the history of this, 
that, you know, you can go back to, you know, you can go back centuries and there's just some basic musical chords here. We should note that Marvin Gaye's estate uh, has been in litigation before. You might remember their successful litigation over the uh, hit from the early teens, uh, 20 teens, Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke and Pharrell. They were able to show that uh, that uh, had a much closer relationship to the uh, Marvin Gaye hit, Got to Give It Up. And so that then led Pharrell and Robin Thicke to have to pay $5 million to the Gaye estate, the Marvin Gaye estate, not successful this time around, though. From USA Today, a Delta Airlines flight from Houston to Atlanta was delayed for about three hours earlier this week when a swarm of bees briefly colonized on one of the plane's winglets. According to the airline, the bees were eventually dislodged when the aircraft, still empty, was pushed back from the gate. And this allowed passengers to board the Airbus A320 and resume their trip to Atlanta. Delta said the flight was delayed to ensure the bees' welfare, as well as to make sure that no safety-critical surfaces of the plane were contaminated. Jill, I woke up. On Thursday morning, a couple of people sent me this message, and I just thought the story was the bee's knees. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were going to do something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so, and it turns out that the Mo News community is everywhere. That when I put up like a Twitter exchange from one of the passengers that I thought was particularly humorous, I then got a message from a Delta employee who was based in Houston on Wednesday, being like, I was there and I have photos and videos from aboard the plane. Can I send them to you? I was like, Absolutely. So, we posted them over on the Mo News. Instagram account. I mean, literally, you're about to board. They discover that one of the winglets, this little edge, has tons of bees on it. Again, check out the video and photo over on our Instagram account. And then you just have this like comedy of people showing up taking photos. Do we need to call like a beekeeper? Like, what do we do about this? Will the bees go inside the plane? Can we turn on the plane? And this goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Eventually, they turn on the plane, and the bees fly away. They then back up the plane, move it to another gate, inspect the plane. The Delta employee was telling me that they were very concerned that the bees could get inside the flaps, inside the engine, inside the plane. The last thing you want is a whole bunch of bees inside a plane at 30,000 feet. So that was one of the concerns here. And then, of course, you know, the bees welfare. They wanted to make sure the bees survived here. It appeared the bees just hung out on the winglet. They turned on the plane. The bees flew away. So in the future, if you find bees, you know, on your plane, anybody, just turn on the plane. It appears to have worked this time around. And then, Jill, uh, we should we should say that based on what the passengers tell me, they got to Atlanta about four hours later than they planned to. It's a tough one because who do you get mad at? Sometimes you have anger towards the airline or a rowdy passenger or whatever, but how do you get mad at a swarm of bees? Well, one of the um, passengers who was tweeting, whose tweets went viral about this, said that they actually found that the other passengers were more angry than a normal delay. Because you can imagine everyone's at the gate and everyone just pretends to be a bee expert. Like, why don't you try this? Why don't you try <laughs> right, that? Right, right. And so apparently, like, whether you can understand the bees, people are like, no, I have an idea. Why don't you use my idea? And apparently that was what's happening at a gate in Houston yesterday. Everyone's an expert. Everyone becomes an expert <laughs> in it. <laughs> I'm but like that. I highly recommend, though, um, that people go on the Mosh Instagram and check out the photos because I just kind of read this story without seeing the pictures. And then when you see the pictures, you cannot believe how many bees we're talking about here. This wasn't even hundreds of bees. This was like, there must have been- Could be like, thousands, ha- yeah. Mo- more. I mean, it was just wild. <laughs> the, the entire wing was covered. There we go, folks. Jill just became an expert in bees. Let me tell you, Mosh, this is how many bees. <laughs> Let me tell you. More than that, Mosh, more than that. I counted in the picture. <laughs> All right, now time 
for On This Day in History, on this May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, Jill will begin in 1862, where the holiday of Cinco de Mayo takes its name and commemorates the victory of the Mexicans over the occupying French military in the Battle of Puebla. This was on May 5th, 1862. The French, though, would ultimately win a subsequent battle. It would last a couple of years here, this war between the Mexicans and the French. The U.S., following the Civil War a couple of years later, would begin helping the Mexicans and help push the French out. Cinco de Mayo is a holiday, we should note, more popular in the U.S. than in Mexico, and it has become associated through the years with Mexican-American culture and cuisine. All right, we're going to stay in the 1800s here. Uh, Important date, 1809. On this day in 1809, the first woman to receive a U.S. patent, Mary Kreese was her name. She got a patent for her technique for weaving straw into silk. The process was largely used in the creation of hats and other headwear, which is my favorite word, Jill, that we never get to use, haberdasher, haberdashery, or the profession of hat making. It's from a bygone era. I always love a kind of quaint type of word like that. I'm I'm all for it. I don't know if I'll ever use it besides for this podcast, but um, I like it. If you're ever in Brooklyn, we still have a couple haberdashers in Brooklyn. I, I passed one in Williamsburg, in the neighborhood of Williamsburg recently. That sounds about right. <laughs> for the course for Brooklyn. Uh, big day in space history on this day in 1961, 62 years ago, Alan Shepard became the first American to travel into space. Uh, your husband's favorite segment here, Jill. Happy birthdays. We're going to just <laughs> we do have, one. We haven't really been doing that. We haven't that. done it in a while. <laughs> Adele turns 35 today. Happy birthday, Adele. Turning 39 years old today, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, their first story was published by Mirage Studios in a comic book on this day in 1984. And a bit of movie history before we go. Gladiator, the famous Russell Crowe epic premiered in theaters on this day in the year 2000, 23 years ago. The people who created Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were actually um, from my hometown, Jericho. And, you know, I don't know if you played any sports, but local businesses would sponsor sports teams. And I remember one of the basketball teams said Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and it was before it was really widespread. And we're all like, what is this team? What is this? (laughs) There you go, folks. Some Long Island pride there. Long Island, New York. The home of Billy Joel and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mosh, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Here is what we are watching, reading, and eating. You want to kick it off? Sure. Obviously, we have the coronation early on Saturday morning, so I'll be watching that. You can watch our coverage on the Instagram account. Uh, I also need to find myself a Peacock streaming password. I don't know if I'm a subscriber yet. I'm interested in checking out this Pete Davidson semi-autobiographical show called Buckus about his life. Mosh, if you get a Peacock password, send it my way, because I, too, would love a Peacock (laughs) password, because there are a ton of Bravo shows that they have behind a paywall on Peacock. Should we make that part of Monus Premium, a uh, password sharing (laughs) program for all of us? Well, that's worth the price of admission there. Right there, everybody. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to be watching Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story. It's out on Netflix this weekend. This is a prequel and a spinoff to the hit Netflix series, And at least according to one review that I read in Variety, it is apparently the best Bridgerton yet, which is saying a lot because that first one was pretty darn good. All right, Joel, what are you reading this weekend? I'm reading The Last Mrs. Parrish. It's by Liv Constantine. This is the latest pick for my book club, as was requested when I did my first book club pick. People wanted to know what else we were going to be reading. So this is our second pick. As I was going to buy it, which is, um, I would say, rather close to our next meeting, I kind of procrastinated on this one. I saw that it's also part of Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine book club. 
However, some of the ladies in my book club uh, who've read it already haven't been loving it. So I'm not going to endorse this just yet. I'll review it or whatnot once I actually read it. All right. Keep us up to date. Uh, Jill, I just finished Ben Smith's book, Traffic. Ben Smith, you might know him, former political columnist, former founding editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed, New York Times media columnist, now uh, co-founder of Semaphore, the media company. Uh, He effectively has written a book about the early history of the internet, which kind of ages all of us, just the rise of the internet in the last 20 years as far as media is concerned. So Matt Drudge, Andrew Breitbart, Ariana Huffington, uh, Nick Denton, who created Gawker at the beginning of BuzzFeed, and effectively just the history of the media, uh, online media in the past 15 years, social media, Mark Zuckerberg. It's fascinating. Uh, I did an interview with him. It'll be uh, in a podcast edition we have coming out next week for premium listeners. A reminder, if you join Mo News Premium, mo.news slash premium, uh, you get early access to all of our interviews. And that'll include the Ben Smith interview next week. Again, mo.news slash premium, seven bucks a month or $70 a year. If you use the code Mo News Pod, one word, Mo News Pod, you get an extra month free. It's a way to support what we're doing and get extra access to a private Instagram account and that podcast feed. And maybe a Peacock password. And potentially a Peacock <laughs> password. So many Ps, a lot of alliteration there. Jill, we'll end it as always with what we're eating this week. What do you got? Mosh, anything and everything. I am very happy to report my daughter has been cleared of all of her food allergies. We've been doing this. Congrats. Yes, we have been. Thank you. We have been doing this homeopathic program for the past two years. And I haven't really talked about it publicly because I was waiting until it worked. And it did, knock on wood. So for basically the first time in almost four years since she was first diagnosed with a slew of food allergies, We are going to happily not be reading labels and trying to figure out if everything is going to be safe for her or not. Um, Although it will probably be a a tough habit to break because I'm just so used to reading labels at this point. But very exciting for us here uh, in my household. Such exciting news, Jill. Uh, We were talking about it earlier this week. Uh, Saw the uh, celebration you had with your uh, daughter in the doctor's office. And, you know, we've been talking about you doing a special podcast related to allergies Uh, So we hope to be able to bring that uh, sometime in the near future. Absolutely, Mosh. I'd love to interview the woman who created the program. uh, So we hope to bring that to everybody soon. And Mosh, what are you going to be eating? Well, sort of eating uh, on top of my food, olive oil. We were reporting on it on the uh, Instagram account earlier this week. Uh, Despite the price, love me some olive oil. It turns out right now, olive oil is at a 26-year high in terms of cost right now because it turns out the country that produces the most olive oil has a major drought right now, leading to our headline, the rain in Spain has been rarely falling in the plain. If you get the My Fair Lady reference there. Got it. <laughs> the rain <laughs> yeah, in Spain no. falls rarely in the plain. So apparently, there, he is. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so apparently they're half of normal production in Spain right now. It's a major drought across the Mediterranean. We were reporting earlier this year about the forest fires there last summer. It does not look to be getting any better. And so we are looking at a situation here between Italy, Spain, Greece, the hub of um, olive oil production. And the drought has been everywhere, but especially in Spain. So Jill, just something to look out for as you go grocery shopping and you're like, why is the olive oil costing so much? Drought conditions in Spain. All right, everybody, get your Mosh fix in now because we're going to be missing him (laughs) next week. Mosh, um, enjoy your time off. Jill, I'll try my best. It's a reporting trip abroad. Maybe I'll call in. Uh, maybe I'll run into some news for you and I'll file it for this podcast. And then you let me know if it, uh, 
if it meets the threshold <laughs> for the week that you're in full control of this whole operation next week. <laughs> you're going to come back. I'm going to be in such like a power trip. I'm sorry, yeah. Mosh, like, that Mosh, doesn't work anymore. Mosh, it wasn't worthy. <laughs> that story wasn't worthy. Like, you just need to understand that we've really upped the standards in your absence. Um, all right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Those follows really matter. So if you could follow us on Apple or Spotify, we would greatly appreciate it. The reviews matter. We appreciate it. Mo News Premium. If you can support what we're doing, supporting independent journalism, mo.news slash premium. Check it out. And don't forget, you can call us and leave us a message, 1-800-711-MOSH, uh, to ask your question uh, and have that question appear in a future episode. So, Jill, I bid everyone adieu. I feel like I uh, now I'm just quoting My Fair Lady over and over again here. <laughs> um, I'll be back in a week. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.